All right, guys. Hey, welcome, welcome. Let's start settling down. Thank, oh, thank you very much. Appreciate that. All right, I'm going to open with a word of prayer, get started a couple minutes early, and I can uh, get through more information and potentially have you guys ask some questions if you'd like. So as I pray, I just want you to pray for yourselves, pray for each other, that something that I might say today as might be used as God's mouthpiece, not a real like prophet or nothing, but that you guys would be impacted, that there would be something that I would say, maybe multiple things that I say that would impact you uh, for, for a long time, that you would remember this stuff and that it would help you in your walk with Christ. So, Father, I just thank you for these young men and women that are here. I uh, thank you for the opportunity to speak to them about uh, defending their faith to uh, help them with a firm foundation. I just pray that you open their hearts and minds to what I have to say and that you would speak through me, that I'd be able to impart some wisdom upon them that would be fruitful for them and impactful for others down the road. In Jesus' name. I didn't know there was a clap. Cool. All right. <laughs> okay, so last, was like three weeks ago, I came up and I got to do the same presentation. I was driving up. I'm from Fresno. I live in Clovis, but anybody Fresno, Clovis? Anybody? No, nobody. Okay. Oh, there you go. Okay, two. <laughs> All right, so it's about an hour, 40 minutes away. I don't know if you guys noticed as you're coming up, most of you guys on the buses, I think, that they're pretty windy roads coming up. And there are some gnarly turns with no guardrails. And as I was driving up, I was thinking about a young lady that my wife knew, it was an older sister of her friend that lived halfway up here in high school and she drove down to Clovis every day for high school. And one day she didn't come home and she flew off the cliff and passed away. So I was thinking about her as I was driving up. I've done this road enough times. And as, as these speeders were coming up behind me and they were you know, kind of tailgating and stuff. And I'm like, ah, I mean, I started thinking like, what if I'm the one that is driving responsibly, kind of slows them down and they don't fly off a cliff and they just live. But you can't be too much of a jerk. So you pull over and you let people speed by. And I'm driving through, I, I did pull over. I let somebody uh, go by and about five, 10, I don't know, I didn't, five miles up the road, coming around a curve and I see something in the, in the, in the road. I said, what is that? And I get closer, I see it's a bumper. And I'm like, oh no, I'm just praying that it's not one of those cliffs where somebody, you know, there's just no skid marks going off the side. And as I came up, there was a car, thankfully not off the edge, but on the other side of the road, flipped upside down. There's two cars that I let pass before me that are stopped helping them. They're crawling out of their upside down car, young 20-somethings that were just going too fast. It wasn't even really that bad of a curve compared to some of them. And so that was, I was just thankful that they weren't dripping blood or whatever. The girl was obviously freaked out. She was just bawling. I think she was, she was the driver. And they were both crawling out. And so I was like, okay, these guys got it. These cars have stopped. But there's a curve that's coming around the road. And they can't, the cars that are coming down can't see what happened around that blind curve. Thankfully, there was another, there was a turnout and I was, I pulled up and I went to the turnout and I got out of my car and I just waited for cars to come around that blind curve to say, stop, slow down, slow, pump your brakes. Cause I had some inside information that they didn't have that around that curve, if they're going too fast, they're going to cause another wreck that's going to harm them and is going to harm those people that are, that are still at the accident. And so as, as it happened, I had wisdom and knowledge that I wanted to impart to these people that hadn't been further down the road. And so that's what 
that's what Hume is about. That's what this presentation is about. That's what your pastors, your parents are typically about, is they have some wisdom and knowledge that they want to impart to you to say, look, there are some problems that are going to come down the road. Guaranteed, if you make it till tomorrow, there are going to be troubles and trials and tribulations that are going to test you. Avail yourself to the wisdom that people that have been further down the road have so that you can be prepared for that accident that's up ahead. And you can walk through those unscathed sometimes. Okay, so that's what we're trying to do today in answering the unbeliever because there is a world out there that is hostile towards Christianity. And it has been getting more and more so every day, every week around these parts. So I want to equip you guys on answering the unbeliever and not just the unbeliever, fortifying your own faith, like I said earlier. So let's start by reading this passage. Oh, let me, let me pause this real quick. There's a gun in this video, and the guy shoots the gun at a lion, a mountain lion. He doesn't hit him, okay? So if you have problems with guns or shooting guns, there's your fair warning. Close your eyes, plug your ears. Um, so just fair warning, but this goes well with the, the Bible verse that, that we have here. So this is a hunter in Idaho that's um, dealing with this mountain lion stalking him. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by the brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Guys, there's, there's a lion out there, and it's, it's, there is a Satan. There is demonic things going on. I've, I've seen too much to deny that. I read it in the text of the Bible. But there's also your flesh and the world that is, is warring against you. And so you need to be prepared. So I'm not asking you to go shoot anybody or do anything violent towards an unbeliever. As John Piper would say, we need to do violence on our own sin and our own problems. But I want you to think about this as I'm saying it and using it in the most peaceful way that we can. I want to give you some bullets to put in your magazine to load into your Glock that when Satan comes, you have something to shoot. You have, you have protection, okay? And so God is so gracious, so kind, so merciful that he has given us his word, his Bible, that as we're going to see can be trusted, is, is awesome. It just, it, you just let the lion loose and it, and it proves itself. But he's so gracious. He's given us extra evidence, extra things to look at. And so we're going to cover some of that today. This apologetics, who has studied apologetics in here? Raise a hand, like done a pretty good deep study of apologetics. Okay, good. There's like three of you. So, so this, is, this is cool. This is, I'm thankful for you guys that have looked in and, and um, hopefully your churches, your parents are kind of helping you get to these, these things. But for the rest of you, I want to introduce you to this field of apologetics. So it's the Greek word apologia, comes from the Bible, specifically 1 Peter 3.15, where it says this. It says, but, make in, but in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord, always being prepared to make a apologia or make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do this with gentleness and respect. So this is biblical. This is a word that God wants us to be out there and be casemakers for our own faith and for, for the sake of others as well. 
And you see this, not the same apologia word, but you see this in, in Jude. It says, I found it necessary to write to you appealing to you to contend for the faith. So we want to contend for the faith. He's right, Jude, Paul is, or Jude is writing this to the church. He says, that was once and for all delivered to the saints. For certain people crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Does that sound familiar to today? People creeping in and asking you to doubt your faith? I, I, don't, I don't know if you guys have experienced, but it's all over social media. There's memes and TikToks and, and the news. It's just there. And so you need to deal with it. And if you're not ready for the fight, you need to get ready. So an easy definition of what apologetics is from Bodhi Bauckham, apologetics is merely knowing what we believe, why we believe it, and being able to communicate that with others effectively. Okay, so I just want you in this to just get a broad sense of it, okay? I wanna tell you about my first encounter with apologetics before I get into specific issues. So I'm a, uh, what am I, a junior at Purdue University, and um, you like Purdue University the second game? Yeah? All right, your parents went there. The last time I was here, another guy in the audience had gone there himself. So. All right, so that's kind of rare around here. So at Purdue, and 9-11 happens. This is, I'm assuming, before you guys are born, most of you guys, and I'm watching on TV, in class, there's this TV in the, outside my classroom, planes flying to the World Trade Centers uh, and, the, and the Pentagon. And that day, a couple thousand Americans died. As it goes, we enter a multi-decade war and thousands upon thousands of other people die because of the evil that was perpetrated by Osama bin Laden and his buddies, okay? So they went and hijacked these planes. And so there's questions swirling around. Gosh, why would God allow this? People are shocked. I mean, these are the type of, you guys, I don't think in your generation of experience, like an earth shattering thing like this, that just you just marks your moment, that the moment that it happens that you see this. And for the generation before is like when JFK got assassinated and there's, you know, so there's just things like that that happen and, and will happen. And so everybody's wondering if God, why evil? And I see this, this lecture, this flyer for this lecture that's just, that's popped up. Football's canceled, we're supposed to play Notre Dame, it's not happening. So I'm, you know, down the, I'm going to this lecture. And this guy shows up, this, this guy right here, his name is William Lane Craig. Anybody heard of him? Okay, a couple people. Unbeknownst to me, he's a worldwide, world famous uh, apologist who debates uh, the, the smartest people that are out there and tears them to pieces because this guy's very intelligent. And that was what really stuck with me, is that this guy was so eloquent, eloquent, so intelligent. I hadn't encountered intelligent Christianity up to that point. I just, I honestly, I, I was kind of dealing with soft serve ice cream for a long time, and this guy was dishing out some meat, and I wanted to chew on some meat. And at this point, I, I wouldn't say I was a real Christian yet. I was a fake Christian, a false convert, somebody who grew up in church, yet denied the faith, not by my words, but by my actions through my sexual immorality, through my drunkenness, through just my goals in life was all about greed and me. How can I make me look better? How can I do better for me? Um, my fruit was pretty rotten, but I wasn't, didn't seem to be on the surface anti-God, so I was interested in this stuff, and this guy just blew my mind and talked about some of the stuff that we're gonna talk about, if God, why evil? 
and that's that's all I want to do today is just kind of just maybe blow your mind of there is some there's some stuff out there that you need to learn and we've already hit that enough times but that was my first encounter and then down the road those seeds that were planted became useful once God convicted me of my sin and drew me a, a, let me see what it talked about in first John that those who walk in darkness lie and don't know the truth. I was walking in darkness all the time, yet claiming to know the truth. And God graciously granted me repentant faith to turn from my sins, from my lying, my stealing, my, my lust, my adulteries of, Jesus said lust is like adultery, hatred, all these commands to turn from those things and to turn to Jesus and trust in Jesus fully and solely and wholly for my salvation. So, and then once I did that, once God converted me and changed me, he, want, he made me want to go share this gospel with other people. The things that I had been missing for so long, he, he changed me and I wanted to go share this with strangers. So over the last 19 years, I've been sharing this with strangers and my favorite place to do it is on the college campus where I just go and get in conversations with students and ask them questions. It's just a stocked fishing pond where there's just tons of people to talk to. So. So from there, I need to know these things. I need to be equipped. And so these are kind of the topics that I want to cover with you today just as an overview. This is where I'm going to, where I'm going to go, okay? So the beginning, fine-tuning, origin of life, real choices, evil, morality, trustworthy Bible. Some of these I am going to skim over really fast. I'm just going to show you the slide, and that's it, or else we'll be here for three or four hours, okay? So let's start with the obvious facts, all right? Psalm 14.1 says, The fool has said in his heart that there is no God. It's foolish. So I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna be one of the guys that say, well, just say there is no God. There's a God. I'm gonna stand on my presuppositions. There's a God, because I, I don't wanna even take the position of a fool. It is foolish. I don't recommend this as a Bible verse to walk up to atheists to say, hey, do you know the fool says in his heart there's no God and you'd seem to be one. I don't recommend that, but know that, have that, have that knowledge, okay? Romans 1.19 says, this is a summary, the knowledge of God's existence and divine power are plain to be seen just by observing his creation. Sinful man often suppresses that knowledge and humanity is without excuse. Go read Romans. Get really familiar with Romans 1, 2, and 3 for sure. That is foundational to our faith. But this shows that humanity is suppressing. That's why I have this beach ball up here. Is that This is an illustration from... from smarter guys than me. But reality, the reality, we live in God's world and God's reality is going to surface. Just like if you take a beach ball into a swimming pool and you try to push it down, you push it down. It's always fighting against you. Reality is always fighting against you. So when I talk to atheists and agnostics, I bring up, I, I punch their beach ball so that it pops up because I know that they cannot be consistent with their worldview. And the ones that are consistent with their worldview, as I'll show you, is some scary stuff to be, that they say but at least it's consistent. So that beach ball, remember that. God, this is God's world, this is his reality, and his truths are going to surface. These realities that I'm gonna teach you are gonna surface. The heavens declare the glory of God. Have any of you guys, while you're here, just stared up at the stars and seen the beauty, the majesty? Have you looked at online and seen the Hubble or the, I forget what, the James Webb telescope and see the pictures that are coming out of this thing? I have some of these pictures in, this, in these slides. Amazing. Stuff that when they when the psalmist wrote that, we could just see what you see. Beautiful stars, amazing. But now we get to see close up. 
what this stuff looks like. It's, it's breathtaking. And the awe and the beauty of it should just cry out to you, God is real, God is awesome. And Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God has set eternity in the hearts of man. We're not fighting a fair fight because God has put eternity in people's hearts. All right, obvious facts. Now we're in the beginning. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Bang. I'm assuming there was a bang when God, when God did that. Took nothing and turned it into everything that we see. And there can be old earth creationists, young earth creationists. There can even be atheists these days. But they now, I mean, pretty much scientific consensus is that, that there, is, there was a beginning. Because early on, there were scientists that, were, that understood that if there was a beginning, there needed to be a beginner. And they were uncomfortable with that. So they hypothesized that the, earth, that the universe has always been. It was eternal until they started looking through their telescopes and doing mathematical equations and finding out that, okay, actually it did have a beginning. We're expanding. There was just too much evidence to prove or that proved otherwise that, that everything had always existed. So there's a pretty cool um, argument called, called the cosmological, cosmological argument. And it goes like this. And I'm going to skim out whole books can be written debates just on this. All right. So premise one, everything that begins to exist has a cause. Premise two, the universe began to exist. Conclusion, therefore, the universe has a cause. We usually call this cause God, okay? And this God must obviously be without beginning, uncaused, timeless, spaceless, immaterial, and more and enormously powerful, and immensely intelligent. That perfectly describes the God of the Bible, and it makes sense with what we see in the telescope, and even in the microscope. So I want you to think about this. If there ever was nothing, how could we get something? I, I posed this question to a very intelligent client of mine that was a, that's an atheist, smart guy. How do we get something from nothing? He says, I don't know, but we're trying to figure it out. Just give me some time. I, said, I asked him, I said, how do we get here? He says, I don't know. We're trying to figure it out. Just give us some time. It's just, imagine this little hat. And you, you know, ma magician's hat, and you pull, I pull a rabbit out of the hat with a little magic wand. At least you got a hat and a rabbit and a wand and a magician. But with the atheism, we've got all this stuff, but there is no magician. There is no hat. There is no wand. Okay, that's what they're dealing with. So anybody want to raise your hand? This little, anybody got a good definition of nothing? Well, that would work. Yeah. Yes, I was hoping I could get that one. <laughs> All right, what rocks dream about? That is a good definition of nothing. Ro what rocks dream about? It is scientifically impossible to get something from nothing. It just doesn't happen. Yet that's what your atheistic professor, biology teacher, chemistry teacher wants you to think. They'll, they'll avoid the beginning. And there's some other things they'll avoid as we get into it. So next, let's check out the fine-tuning argument. Like I said, I'm just skimming over these things. You can, you can get your PhD in this, in this stuff. Okay. So the fine-tuning argument would be another, another one we want to look at. Premise one, the universe exhibits and requires remarkable fine-tuning of its physical constants, conditions, in order to burst into existence and to continue to exist. The fine-tuning that is required for the universe to exist is statistically impossible or unlikely to have occurred by chance. Conclusion, the best explanation of the fine-tuning 
is the existence of a fine tuner commonly known as God. And if you miss anything, if any of you guys are taking notes, you want to take pictures of slides later, um, I'll, I'll be up here after you guys are done. All right, here's some examples. Just going to look at them real quick. Gravitational force, uh, electromagnetic force, strong weak nuclear force, cosmological expansion, constant Earth's location in the galaxy, the solar system, uh, Jupiter, the cosmic vacuum, Earth's distance. I mean, do you guys know that Jupiter, like, absorbs all the asteroids for us? That if Jupiter wasn't there, we'd be blown up? Uh, the distance of the moon uh, from the Earth, Earth's... Uh, Oxygen, carbon dioxide. I mean, just there's so many anthropic principles, I guess they'd say, that this is it's just amazing that we are we are literally, I think it's they call it Occam's razor, and we are just on the edge of this razor that just a little bit to this side or a little bit to this side, in any of these constants, we don't exist. Astrophysicist Hugh Ross calculated that without divine design, there is one chance in 10 to the 138th power that life could exist as we know it. That is 138 zeros after the 10. As a comparison, there are only 10 to the 70 atoms. Atoms, like I can, we can't even see in the entire universe. I didn't do those calculations, I can't vouch for them, but that's what astrophysicist Hugh Ross says. That's compelling to me. I don't know if it is for you. Origin of life. This is another big question. I, I really enjoyed just preparing this, this for this section, geeking out on this, and I can't really go into it, but I just want to give you some resources to go into it. How do dead elements or chemicals become simple living cells? So say we have everything. It exploded. It was by nothing, for nothing. And then how do we go from dead things to living things? Ask the smartest chemists out there. They don't really know. There are people called synthetic chemists, and this guy is one of them. His name is Dr. James Tour. He went to Purdue University, just so you guys know. Um, he is a very intelligent guy. I found that out just by listening to him. Like, I, I didn't do the science stuff at Purdue. I did the, like, bonehead stuff. So this guy can think. And this guy, Dr. Stephen Meyer, just get online, and Dr. Stephen Meyer and James Tour and listen to these guys. They will, they will blow your mind. And so James Tour is a synthetic chemist, and he says, yeah, I mean, he says it with force. We have no idea how non-life became life. And this guy creates nanobots and molecular machines and says we have no idea. So just to show you that, um, the probability of a single protein, just to build one of the building blocks for a, for a cell is estimated to be one in 164th, or one to the 164th power. And remember, there's only 10 to the 70 atoms in the universe. So this is cosmic lottery on steroids. All right, biology looks designs, and I'm not even gonna pop a slide for this one. There's um, famous atheist, uh, Richard Dawkins. He's written a book many books criticizing religion and all this stuff. And he's a biologist, and he's probably the most famous atheist that's out there. And he says that there is, I didn't pull the quote, but there is an appearance of design. So he just says uh, there's an appearance of design. And you know what he said in, a, in one documentary that he was in? They asked him, how did we get here? How did life begin? He didn't want to go the God route. He said aliens did it. Panspermia is what, what they call it. 
So that just kicks the can down the road to another universe or another galaxy or whatnot. But that's what this atheist says. But if you look at DNA, you know what DNA is? It's computer code. Bill Gates said DNA is like computer code, just far more complex. It is digital information. How do you get digital? Inf if you ask Nolan back here, who set all, sets up all the technology about here, he, he knows computers. He knows how to write codes and stuff. Digital information doesn't come about without a mind, an intelligent mind. And the DNA is just, if you unraveled all the DNA to your body, it's to the sun and back multiple times. It's crazy. It's ones and zero, A, C, D, and whatever DNA is made up of, these, these letters they've ascribed to it. It's crazy. It is digital information. And we're just talking about simple, simple cells. How about the com complex cells that we have to deal with? Okay. Now I'm going to leave kind of the science a little bit and get a little more philosophy. Real choices. Everybody thinks like, oh, well, well Christians have to answer all these questions. But I want to tell you what, it's not just Christians that have to answer the questions. It's the, it's the atheists and the agnostics as well. Where do real choices come from if we are just created, not even created, exploded out of nothing, by nothing, for nothing. We are just molecules in motion. It is, as this slide kind of shows, a, a bang and then dominoes falling. I, I find it kind of humorous and I try not to smirk, but when atheists yell at me and tell me I'm immoral for certain ministry things that I do because I'm trying to save babies outside of an abortion clinic, I got ripped up and down by this massive man of a human yesterday that called me and my buddy all kinds of terrible names because we're just trying to share other locations for women to go and give them resources. And I just said, it doesn't really hurt what you're saying to me because your worldview cannot support it. We're just molecules in motion and we don't get upset with molecules banging into other molecules or doing immoral things. There are no immoral things if we're just exploded out of nothing, by nothing, for nothing. And that brings us to this, the next question, which is, the existence of morality and, and human ills and, and just terrible things. And so this is some things that Richard Dawkins has said. So the universe we observe is precisely the properties we should expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. The most famous well-known atheist in the world says there is no evil, there is no good. Can you guys in your mind think of one evil thing right now? Like killing somebody for fun, assaulting somebody for fun. I and mean, there, there are some wicked things that have happened to me, have happened to you, that will happen to us. And this guy says, at the root, there is no evil, no good. And at the next page, he'll criticize Christians for doing evil things. Talk about the hypocrisy. DNA neither knows nor cares. DNA just is, and we dance to its music. Science has no method, this is all Richard Dawkins, science has no method for deciding what is ethical. The matter is for individuals and for society. Science cannot tell you whether abortion is wrong. Science cannot tell you whether it is wrong to clone a human being. Science cannot tell you whether it is wrong to clone stem cells for spare parts, to punch somebody in the face for no reason, adding on, to rape somebody, to do these, these things. Science can't tell you that. There's a lot of things. People say, I believe in science. People that say, I believe in science, can you, can you prove that statement scientifically? Of course not. There's many things that we know, and it comes through philosophy and wisdom and knowledge, and not science per se. And you can, did you guys know this? You can get a PhD in the philosophy of science. 
you can't do science without philosophy. So these are my questions. So when I go into a college campus, one of my favorite intros is to walk up to the students and ask them, I'm gonna say, can I interview you for a project? And I'll say, what? they'll say, what's it about? And I'll say, it's about morality and mortality. So they have no clue what that really means, but I'm about to get into it with them and I say, tell me why murder is wrong. Tell me why rape is wrong. Explain this to me. Because they believe it, they believe it. And I'm silent, I let them speak, I let them squirm. And I'll say, well, because it hurts somebody. Well, what's wrong with hurting somebody? Well, you shouldn't do it. Why shouldn't you do it? They don't have good answers for just the basic things we see in society. So I want to explain that a little bit. So I'll say this. Evil cannot exist without good, like shadows cannot exist without light. God is the ultimate standard of good by which everything else is measured, and he has written his standard on our hearts. Guys, God has put this on our hearts. Think of this. One moral law demands a moral lawgiver. We don't get laws without a God who gives these laws. And the atheist doesn't have a God, supposedly, and so that means that he shouldn't have any laws, right? That's not exactly how they live. And then I'll quote them the Declaration of Independence. God, um, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men were created equal, endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights set to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Why would God, gosh, I'm, I'm talking way too much. So why would God allow this? I'm going to blast through these guys. So you can take a picture of the slide later if you want. What if God, what if you saw this humanity from God's perspective? I think he wouldn't, we wouldn't say, why does anything bad happen? We would say, why does anything good happen? What if God was to rid the world of sin? Any volunteers, if he starts with you? Because we're the, we're the problem a lot of times, right? Humanity is what causes so many ills in the world. Uh, pain and suffering exposes true faith. It increases knowledge, wisdom, spiritual growth, intimacy with God. Great uh, quotes here. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. I suggest to you that because God loves us, he gives us the gift of suffering. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. I'm just going to keep going, blast through these. Uh, God allows us to glimpse the extent of his love and his heroic nature. And without sin, we don't get to see those things. It enhances our ability to glorify God and make eternity and sometimes this life more enjoyable, provides us the opportunity to comfort others and be comforted by God. I've heard of guys in prison camps and being tortured that wanted out, but in a sense they had such intimacy with God in those dungeons that they missed that when they left because they were with him in that suffering. And God doesn't just look at our suffering from a distance, he comes. Jesus Christ, who took on more suffering than any of us, the world combined, could, ever could. And God promises to end suffering for every believer. He will wipe away the tears one day. And don't quote this one in the midst of suffering for a friend, but get this theology in your head before the suffering happens. All things work together for God's purposes, for those who love him and are called according to, to his purposes. All right, now we're going to get into trustworthy Bible. <laughs> Four minutes. All right. Let me just throw all these up here real quick so that you can see them. Okay, so I could, I could go four hours on this entire deal, just on this alone. 
textual criticism. Textual criticism is the science and study of how we know that the text has been passed down faithfully throughout the years. Okay, we don't just have this Bible and just take on faith that it was passed down through the game of telephone. We actually, there is a science, and this is how you address all the ancient texts, is through textual criticism. You compare and contrast the copies that you have based on how early they are, how full they are, you know, how long they are, or complete they are, and, um, and where they're at. So with the Bible, we have more textual evidence than any other book of ancient antiquity. From a list that I saw in this book down here, the top 10 ancient texts combined have like 4,000 copies of their, of their ancient text, of not the originals, but the, the copies. The New Testament alone has over 4,000, just the New Testament. And then you add in, add in the, um, that's in the Greek, you add in the extra um, languages, you've got 20,000 almost. So, and the way that works is we can compare and contrast all these family lineages of the texts that have been passed down by these people that believe this is the word of God. And we can compare and contrast them. And then you can see where the errors are at. The spelling is at. This thing got added here. So we know with a very, very high degree of accuracy, with no issues with doctrinal, doctrinal statements or anything, that the Bible is the, the word of God that has been passed down faithfully. And if somebody ever asks you to question the word of God because they know, here's what you say. Oh, so you've studied textual criticism. I've said that many, many times. I've never met one person that even know, has known the word on a regular college, college setting, okay? Uh, prophecy fulfilled, dig into that. Enemy confirmation. We've got outside people from the Bible, the enemies of the Bible, the Jew, Jewish um, Talmud, um, multiple different um, attestations of people that are not Christians that basically tell us in their writings the same basic storyline of what, what scripture um, teaches. Uh, Josephus, Tacitus, Suetonius, uh, you guys can come up here and get some more information on that later. Uh, forsaking our culture, getting persecuted. If you're gonna make up a religion, are you gonna make up one that's gonna get you killed? I wouldn't, personally. Undesigned coincidences, I'd really like to go into that one, I just, I just can't. Embarrassing details, if you're gonna make up a religion, are you gonna put embarrassing details that make you look like a moron? Well, a lot of the disciples that, that penned this made themselves look like idiots because they were many times and God changed them. And let's just fly through the resurrection. This is the linchpin. I should have just started here. This is the linchpin of our faith, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If this isn't true, 1 Corinthians 15, 14, if, it's, if Christ isn't risen, our Christianity is false and we are fools. So you can see through prophecy in the Old Testament, the New Testament, unexpected. Um, it's unexpected. Even though he told them it was going to happen, Nobody really saw it coming, and it was unexpected. And it makes sense in hindsight. You see all the, all the illusions in the Old Testament and the fulfillment in Jesus, the, the um, sacrificial system, just Noah and the ark, the Passover, all this stuff alludes, alludes to Jesus. Over 500 eyewitnesses, and don't discount the Bible. These are eyewitnesses. If you had four witnesses that witnessed a crime, would you, and in a court of law, would you say that's pretty good? They saw these four guys saw this guy get murdered. They're all saying basically the same storyline. That's good evidence. That's what we have in the Bible. More than that, the Bible talks about 500 eyewitnesses. If that didn't happen, you're not going to say that that happened. Legends, time and space. Legend. If you're going to make up a legend, you don't do it at the same time and in the same area. You do it 100 years later in a far off land. And Christianity was birthed in Jerusalem right after it happened. That's documented. Uh, Navy SEAL disciples, do you think these 
cowards really went and stole the body from these elite Roman guards who would be killed if they screwed up? No, that's not a very good explanation. Women and chickens. Again, the disciples are the chickens. The women are the first ones to go see Jesus. And in that day, you're not going to make that up because, I'm sorry, ladies, they weren't seen as full citizens that were worthy to testify in a court of law. And if you're going to make up a religion, you're not going to have women be the first eyewitnesses. And then would you die for a lie? Because the disciples and those people that put forth Christianity died for a lie. And unlikely converts, the priests, Paul, think of the apostle Paul. So guys, I got to wrap this up and we have historical impact, Jesus being the most historical, impactful person.